Ezekiel Elliott has been reading a little too much barstool sports, hasn't he? The objectification of women that is very barstool has infected Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott has risk factors similar to Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon in this draft class. All three of these young current stud or future stud backs also have a shocking disregard for women. And it manifests itself in punches thrown on security footage. Recently, Ezekiel Elliott pulling down a woman's shirt in public on a parade float, no less. These players do not respect the personal space of the people around them and in general make impulsive, irresponsible decisions. Ezekiel Elliott can't go six months without ending up on TMZ doing something that David Johnson would never do. Because that's the standard. Would David Johnson do this? You see bumper stickers, what would Jesus do? Well, all these running backs should have a mantra running in their head, what would King David do? Would King David visit a pot store in Washington? No. Would King David pull a woman's shirt down on a parade float? No. Would King David punch a woman in a restaurant? No! That's why David Johnson's the number one running back in Dynasty. Because we know he's not going to get busted for breaking the league's substance abuse rules, a la Le'Veon Bell, or its personal conduct policies, a la Ezekiel Elliott and Joe Mixon. Even if they haven't yet, you know those players are at risk. Dalvin Cook is at risk. Multiple incidents at Florida State. They just weren't caught on security footage. That's one of the reasons why on our Rookie Dynasty rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings, we have Leonard Fournette ranked ahead of Dalvin Cook because Leonard Fournette seems to love the game and respect others in a way that Dalvin Cook does not. David Johnson seems to love the game and respect others in a way that Ezekiel Elliott does not. That's why in our overall dynasty rankings, David Johnson remains in the number one position and he will be in the number one position for the foreseeable future. We're about to start up the Roto Underworld patron-only dynasty league. It's another dynasty league that we've started, but from now on, all the dynasty leagues that we start for listeners will be for patrons only. Go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Podfather if you want to support the show and join a future listener league. There will be more Dynasty and Redraft listener leagues to come, but they will only be available to those who care about the show enough to support it. The non-free riders. And Ezekiel Elliott is now the favorite to be elected president of the all Dwayne team. Talk about Wayne versus Dwayne. Are you more like Dwayne Bowe or are you more like Reggie Wayne? Wayne or Dwayne? We know Larry Fitzgerald, before he even entered the league, was a Wayne. And we knew Larry Fitzgerald's teammate, Michael Floyd, was a Dwayne. Seems there are a lot more Dwaynes at the running back position now. There are fewer Dwayne wide receivers. It used to be there were a lot of Dwayne type wide receivers, epitomized by, of course, Dwayne Bowe. But there seem to be fewer and fewer of the Dwayne Bow archetypes in the league and more and more Larry Fitzgerald types. You see a lot more behavioral issues and work ethic related issues at the running back position than we do now at the wide receiver position. Running back's just hard. It's just a hard position to play. It hurts. 
It hurts more than any other position, so it would make sense that you have to be a little bit crazy to play it. Someone who's wired like Ezekiel Elliott, just rampaging through life, expecting others to clean up for him in his wake. That personality type is a better fit for the running back position than the wide receiver position. And we're seeing more and more of these Ezekiel Elliott's coming into the league. Welcome Joe Mixon, welcome Dalvin Cook. Get your BarstoolSports.com resumes ready, guys. Johnny Manziel is waiting for you. And we have some Dwaynes in the fantasy football community as well. Most of them I've blocked by now, but I continue to see the same name-calling Neanderthals show up on my timeline because they continue to bother the smart and productive members of the fantasy football community. Like last night, Ryan McDowell from Dynasty League Football, one of the best follows on football Twitter, one of the best dynasty minds in the industry. He's quoted in my Dynasty Dominator. Get it? Playerprofiler.com forward slash guides. A 100-page strategy guide that features precepts from Ryan McDowell. And someone was challenging Ryan McDowell's fee for Dynasty League services rendered, accusing Ryan McDowell of charging an unethical, exorbitant price. Administering Dynasty Leagues is a nightmare. Have you seen the settings on MyFantasyLeague.com? I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I wouldn't. I know who my worst enemies are, and I would not wish them a day spent in the My Fantasy League settings labyrinth. They would go insane. You would need to be committed if you had to spend a day, a full day, in the My Fantasy League settings. It's not fun. Whatever Ryan McDowell wants to charge as an administrative fee for his dynasty leagues, he can charge. It's called capitalism. It's a free country. Who the fuck are you to criticize him for that? But that's what these name-calling Neanderthals do. These are the individuals that hover around 800 followers for a reason. They've been on here forever, talking shit and providing no added value. Humorless posts and bad analysis. That's what they provide. That's it. These individuals are not qualified to criticize someone in Ryan McDowell's position because they don't bring any value. Okay, if your analysis is terrible, at least make me laugh. Okay, you can't make me laugh. You're not funny and you're not interesting. If you're neither funny nor interesting, why would I follow you? If you can find the person, I don't have his name in front of me or his Twitter handle in front of me. If you can find the person on Twitter who is making Ryan McDowell feel bad for charging a nominal rate for administering a dynasty league that he wasn't even a member of, please unfollow that person. I'm going to create a blacklist of these individuals, these fantasy zeros. They bring no joy. They only bring negativity and sadness. I'm creating a list of these individuals to make sure that if you were thinking about inviting them to your dynasty league, that you do not. If you were thinking about following them on Twitter, you don't waste your time. We need this list. We need the blacklist so we know who to avoid because this guy sounds fine. I'll follow him. Ah! Oh, this guy sounds like he'd be an active member of my dynasty league. Ah! Hate speech on the message board. No! Baseless criticism. Ah! Wrong-headed analysis. Ah! Go away! And if you're gonna join a dynasty league, read the rules. They're posted. Here's the league dues. Here's the league prizes. Maybe use some simple mathematics to figure out 
how much the administrator is charging, and then you can make a decision whether or not you want to pay for that service or not. And then you can go ahead and not lob baseless accusations at one of the most prestigious members of this community, Dwayne. But Rex Burkhead's not a Dwayne. Rex Burkhead's not preparing for life after the NFL with BarstoolSports.com. No, Rex Burkhead just signed with the Patriots. Best case scenario for Rex Burkhead. Because Rex Burkhead is good. Rex Burkhead is the ultimate all-purpose weapon at the running back position. Last year, 83% catch rate, top three in the NFL. So he's a slick pass catcher out of the backfield. He's 215 pounds, so he has the size to run between the tackles. But he's also top 10 in the NFL on the burst score metric. Take the broad jump and the vertical jump, add them together, equally weight them. It's an explosion metric. He's top 10 in the NFL in burst. 128.5 burst score. So wow, so he has the burst to get around the edge. He has the size and durability to run between the tackles. He's efficient in the passing game. Wow! Wow! Oh, <laughs> Another weapon in the Patriots' arsenal. Yes. Basically, Rex Burkhead will be taking the Brandon Bolden role and expanding it. Brandon Bolden will not be back with the Patriots now that they have Rex Burkhead. Rex Burkhead will play on special teams, and I believe he will absorb many of the between-the-tackles touches that they gave LeGarrette Blunt last year. My early projections for how the Patriots will break down their touches, 40% Burkhead, 40% Deion Lewis, 20% James White. The Burkhead addition hurts James White more than most people may believe. Because at least when LeGarrette Blunt was on the field, you knew James White was a favorite to be in the backfield in passing situations. But not necessarily true when you have three running backs that are capable of catching passes out of the backfield who are electric in space. You could argue that of Rex Burkhead, Deion Lewis, and James White, that James White possesses the least dynamism in space of those three backs. So sneaky bad news for James White fantasy owners and great news for Rex Burkhead owners. Because not only does Rex Burkhead have a 128 burst score, he has a 1094 agility score, 93rd percentile. When you look at running backs that are heavier than 210 pounds, few have a better agility score than Rex Burkhead. So he's explosive, he's agile, he's strong. Whoa! Whoa! We know straight line speeds overrated for running backs. See Latavius Murray. Rex Burkhead is simply hashtag good at football. And that's what the Patriots seem to be compiling on their roster. Players that are hashtag good at football. Because of his all-purpose skill set, Rex Burkhead will be drafted in the first 10 rounds and redraft. I think he'll go in the 7 to 10 round range. He's a perfect 0RB target in redraft this year, and he's a great trade target in Dynasty Leagues because while he is 26 years old, he's technically past the age apex for the running back position. Rex Burkhead has low mileage, so he'll be around for many years operating at peak performance levels. Look what he did last season. He had one game where he was given the full opportunity share for the team. 80% of the running back touches went to Rex Burkhead in week 17. What did he do? 
144 total yards and two touchdowns, 28.4 fantasy points. He was the third high-scoring running back in fantasy in Week 17. The free square RB DFS lock for Week 17. That was Rex Burkhead. We were touting him in Week 17. We said, you got to get Rex Burkhead in there. Build your lineup around Rex Burkhead. Sure enough, 28.4 fantasy points. And it goes to show why some teams stay bad or stay mediocre and others stay great. Self-scouting, that's the reason we've been identifying this over and over again. It's not just the ability to scout prospects. It's not just the ability to scout other teams' players for free agency. It's the ability to self-scout. We talked about this with Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap. The reason the Patriots are always in the playoffs and always one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl is because they're phenomenal at self-scouting. They identify early on in a player's career whether or not that player is a long-term asset that the team wants to secure, and they offer that player a contract extension very early on. That's what they did with Rob Gronkowski, recall. So the Patriots know whether or not you are going to be signed for the long term very early. They trust their process for evaluating talent, and then they push the chips into the middle of the table when they know they have leverage on the player. And then they lock up multiple years of great value from that player like they did with Rob Gronkowski. He's the poster child for locking up a stud early on. It's a win-win. The player gets to minimize his injury risk, which is what Rob Gronkowski did perfectly. He's been injured a lot, but he's been paid a lot during that time. Smart. And of course, it was smart for the Patriots to lock up Rob Gronkowski. The Bengals have not been good at self-scouting because their inability to self-scout their roster led them to drafting Jeremy Hill and giving Jeremy Hill the lion's share of the touches over Rex Burkhead in the last three seasons. Rex Burkhead's a better football player than Jeremy Hill. Rex Burkhead deserved the starter's touches that were going to Jeremy Hill. And now the Bengals, because they still, even today, after Week 17 happened, did not appreciate Rex Burkhead enough to re-sign him. And it was too late anyway. His contract had expired. He was going to hit the open market. The Bengals would have had to extend Rex Burkhead in 2015 or 2016, but they didn't appreciate him because they're not a good self-scouting franchise, which is one of the reasons why they are in a state of perpetual mediocrity. That's it. There's two hallmark traits of the perpetually mediocre franchises. Number one, constant turnover in both the front office and the coaching staff. Instability leads to more instability. Stability begets more stability. So the first thing you need to do is have stability. And at least the Bengals have that. They haven't been turning their coaching staff over constantly. But what they haven't been doing well is self-scouting. That's why they can't get out of the first round of the playoffs. It's not just Andy Dalton's fault. It's that they've squandered great talents. And like with Rex Burkhead, let someone walk out the door they could have locked up earlier if they had known what they had, but they did not know what they had. The Patriots knew what the Bengals had more than the Bengals knew what the Bengals had. So welcome to New England, Rex Burkhead. He joins Brandon Cooks, another player similar to Rex Burkhead from a franchise similar to the Cincinnati Bengals. It's 
bewildering how the New Orleans Saints have squandered Drew Brees. They have that one Super Bowl, one Super Bowl, and then a bunch of last place finishes in the division, not even making the playoffs with Drew Brees. How can you have Drew Brees and not make the playoffs? Well, we're the New Orleans Saints, and we'll figure out a way. We'll mismanage our salary structure to such an absurd extent. We won't be able to afford anybody. We'll have one of the worst defenses in the league and provide Drew Brees with the bare minimum supporting weaponry. Yes, yes. Let's bring in C.J. Spiller. Yes, yes. Enjoy your Devery Henderson, Drew Brees. Lance Moore, the very personification of the replacement level wide receiver talent. That's what Drew Brees has been gifted by the New Orleans Saints. It's been a catastrophe, a talent catastrophe. How frustrating must it be to be Drew Brees and to see your clock ticking, your time in the league withering away. And now, what do the Saints do? They trade away Brandon Cooks for picks. For picks when you have Drew Brees on a ticking clock. You're trading talents like Brandon Cooks for picks. What are you doing? What? Oh, that trade made a lot of sense for both teams. No, it didn't. It only made sense for the Patriots. Drew Brees is 38 years old. It made no sense to trade away his number one wide receiver for picks. Oh, we can't re-sign him. No chance to re-sign him. Yeah, that's your fault. That's because you're incompetent. Because you've signed a bunch of other free agents to bad contracts because you're bad at scouting other teams' talent. And you're also not locking up Brandon Cooks to a long-term deal because you're bad at scouting your own talent. Drew Brees is doomed. This is why some franchises will simply never win until they turn over everybody. A new front office, a new coaching staff, new everybody. The Saints need new everybody with the exception of Drew Brees. They need Drew Brees to stay as the quarterback and then change literally everybody else. And of course you want to keep Michael Thomas. Of course you want to keep Daniel Lasco, Willie Sneed. Yes, those are great value players. Of course you want to keep those players, but you're in a position with a 38-year-old quarterback where you're better off blowing it up. Now closing in on a decade since the team won the Super Bowl. It's been almost a decade of flailing by the New Orleans Saints. And who wins the most? Of course, 40-year-old Tom Brady. He's the big winner. That's got to be so frustrating. You have the 38-year-old quarterback losing his best wide receiver to the 39-year-old quarterback. It just has to be maddening and perplexing. How did this happen to me? And you have to know that Tom Brady just feels blessed this offseason. Getting Brandon Cooks, getting a healthy Rob Gronkowski back, the development of Malcolm Mitchell on the horizon. Now, gets Brandon Cooks? Gets Rex Burkhead? The Patriots have always deployed a proper running back by committee because they only had specialists at the position. They didn't have an all-purpose, all-terrain, bell cow profile running back. But that's what Rex Burkhead is. Rex Burkhead is the best all-purpose talent at the running back position that the Patriots have had since Robert Edwards. Robert Edwards is now 42 years old. It's been close to 20 years since the Patriots possessed a running back with the every-down skill set that Rex Burkhead now brings to the table. It's an incredibly exciting time to be a member of the Patriots or to be a fan of the Patriots. 
because they are going all in. They are pushing the chips all in. We have a 39-year-old quarterback. We have offensive linemen that are in their prime. We have defensive players in their prime. Now is the time. Now is the time to spend money in free agency. Now is the time to trade draft picks for stud players like Brandon Cooks. Now is the time, and they've done it. It's a pleasure watching the Patriots work, watching a team playing chess while 31 other teams are playing checkers. It's such a pleasure to watch. It really is. Just happen to be from New England and a fan of the team since childhood. This is the team. This team? Wow, I am blessed to be a fan of this team. I could be a fan of 31 other teams that are all approaching player personnel backwards. But I'm not. I'm a fan of the Patriots. Thank God. Well, there is one other team that is also playing chess other than the Patriots. And it's not the team you might think it is. It's the Cleveland Browns. There are two teams playing chess, 30 teams playing checkers, actually. One of them is in pure rebuilding mode, doesn't have a quarterback, has no chance to win, and they know it. And they're leveraging that knowledge. The other team is the Patriots. They have the best athlete of all time, better than Michael Jordan, better than Wayne Gretzky, better than Babe Ruth. They have Tom Brady in his prime, and they're going for it all. But both teams are making all the right moves based on the positions that they know they're in. The Patriots are in win-now mode, and they are doing win-now mode the right way. The Cleveland Browns are in rebuilding mode, and they are doing rebuilding mode the right way. The Cleveland Browns are the first NFL team to treat player personnel management like the NBA does. They are simply using cap space to acquire future draft picks. Teams in the NFL had never done this before. All teams in the NFL were assumed to strive to win this coming season. It was assumed that all money spent by NFL franchises was spent in a win-now mode. We've never had an NFL front office treat their roster as a dynasty owner would, building for the long term, punting the upcoming season in March. It's never been done before. Look at the Jaguars. What have they been doing? Signing Chris Ivory in the offseason. Why? Because they're a wayward franchise who doesn't know they have no chance to win the Super Bowl and they're acting as if they do to the detriment of their long-term interests. The team is worse off when it acquires a Chris Ivory for nothing. The Cleveland Browns are only acquiring contract value if they get something in return, usually a draft pick, like they did with the Brock Osweiler contract. The second round picks in the NFL are the most valuable picks because they're not nearly as expensive when you look at the salary structure, but they're also some of the best talent in the draft. So you want second round picks as an NFL GM. So that Texan second round pick was an exceptionally valuable asset to acquire. And of course, they paid a huge price for it. Close to $20 million of Brock Osweiler's remaining guaranteed salary. Whoa! It's a lot of money for a second-round pick, but they have to reach a salary floor anyway. And they know they want to lose. They are incentivized to lose. Whoever created the NFL's rules for allocating draft picks never thought NFL teams would figure out that if you know you can't win, you are then incentivized to lose and lose as many games as possible. You want to go 0-16. 
The Cleveland Browns tried to go 0-16 last year and failed. They are going to try to go 0-16 this year, and I believe they will fail again because I don't believe that Corey Coleman will allow them to lose 16 games. But they are doing it the right way. It's shameless. I wouldn't do it this way, but it's rational. They're incentivizing you to lose by giving you the best draft picks if you lose the most games. Okay, well, let me try to lose then. Our fan base is loyal. The dog pound's not going anywhere. The dog pound's accustomed to losing anyway. The Patriots would lose fans if they started losing games. Not the Cleveland Browns. It's the perfect laboratory for tanking. We've seen some tanking on a very small scale in the NFL before. We talked about week 17 of the 2014 season. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers benched their starters in the second half to ensure they would lose their Week 17 matchup against the Saints and secure the number one draft pick, which would become Jameis Winston, the consensus best quarterback in the class and one of the best quarterbacks to enter the NFL since Andrew Luck. So they were incentivized to tank, and they did. They tanked in spectacular fashion in the second half of their last game of the season. It was an underreported event. We talked about it on the show, but I think this show was the only show talking about it. Now the Cleveland Browns are tanking much more overtly. They're not waiting till week 17. They're starting in February. The tank is on, and it is making NFL analysts like Bill Polian incredibly uncomfortable, just yelling at the Cleveland Browns, calling them names completely unprovoked on broadcasts and ESPN NFL insider shows. Just bizarre. Bill, get yourself together. The Cleveland Browns are playing chess while other franchises like the Jacksonville Jaguars are playing checkers. It's a completely different game than the Patriots are playing, but they're playing it just as well. But they have to spend some money, so why not acquire Kenny Britt? It's a great signing by the Browns because Kenny Britt's still relatively young. If they get good in the next couple years, he'll still be a 30-year-old wide receiver capable of helping them. So I like the signing. If you're the Cleveland Browns, you don't sign a 32-year-old Brandon Marshall, but why not sign a 28-year-old Kenny Britt? Great value. You see these moves by the Cleveland Browns, and at every turn, they're showing you, we get it. We know who the good players are. We know where the great values are. So while the Patriots are acquiring Brandon Cooks, the Browns are acquiring Kenny Britt. And those two are opposite players. Brandon Cooks is the anti-Kenny Britt. Brandon Cooks is 5'10", 180. Kenny Britt, he's 6'3", 215. Kenny Britt has only played for losing franchises with bad quarterbacks. Brandon Cooks has only played for great quarterbacks. Kenny Britt must look at Brandon Cooks and shake his head. You have no idea, man. You have no idea. You go from Drew Brees to Tom Brady? You are spoiled! Do you know who my quarterbacks have been? Brandon? Do you know who Case Keenum is? Yeah, yeah. It's been me and Case Keenum for the last eight years. Some form of Case Keenum. And you have the unfortunate circumstance of having to adjust to make the adjustment from Drew Brees to Tom Brady. Oh, the horror! Oh, Brandon, what a hard life you live. Kenny Britt, just SMH, SMH. But on this show, we know who the good players are. and We know, more importantly, who the best values are. There are five players right now I would be trading for in Dynasty Leagues. Number one, Rashard Matthews. Number two, Tajay Sharp. Why two Titans receivers? Because the Titans receivers won NFL free agency. 
We thought the Titans would sign Kenny Britt or Alshon Jeffrey. They didn't sign any of those players. You could even argue Trey McBride won free agency. Trey McBride is now the number three or number four wide receiver on the Titans depth chart. And Trey McBride has an upper percentile Spark X score. Athletic across the board was also productive at a small school, William and Mary. So I like Trey McBride as a deep dynasty stash, but I love Tajay Sharp and I love Rashard Matthews. Now I've liked Rashard Matthews for years, just has not been given credit for being one of the most efficient wide receivers in the league. He's had a top five production premium for two consecutive seasons. On playerprofiler.com, the production premium is that situation agnostic efficiency metric. So we look at every given down and distance. What is Rashard Matthews giving you on a per target basis? So even though the Dolphins and the Titans aren't visiting the red zone as much as the Patriots, when they are in the red zone, what is Rashard Matthews giving you? compared to the average wide receiver, and his production premium has been in the positive double digits for two consecutive seasons. When you factor out game situation, Rashard Matthews has been one of the most efficient wide receivers in the NFL. Look at Tajay Sharp. Talk about age-adjusted production. Tajay Sharp was a dominant wide receiver at UMass at a very early age. He broke out at 18.7, 94th percentile. His dominator rating was approaching 40%. He's still only 22 years old. And at 21 years old, he led the Titans in wide receiver snaps. Let me say that again. Tajay Sharp led the Titans in wide receiver snaps at age 21. He's a phenom. He was number one on John Moore's phenom index at Rotoviz for a reason. He wasn't productive because he was 21 years old. Doesn't have great burst. Low BMI wide receiver. Of course, he's going to struggle against press coverage against NFL corners. Tajay Sharp was not going to get open a lot at age 21. It makes sense. It's the most logical thing. It's the reason why we weren't drafting Tajay Sharp in redraft last year. Saw Tajay Sharp going in the first 10 rounds in redraft. It was SMH. Just SMH, SMH. Looking at Tajay Sharp getting drafted in redraft. He's not ready to contribute in redraft, but in dynasty, let him develop. He's on a great trajectory. Why not Tajay Sharp? Why not Rashard Matthews? So those are my number one trade targets. After that is Deshaun Jackson because while Rashard Matthews and Tajay Sharp won free agency based on a lack of activity by their team, Deshaun Jackson won free agency because he himself went to the ideal landing spot. He went to a place where the quarterback throws the ball deep almost more than any other quarterback in the NFL. In his second year in the league, at age 23, Jameis Winston was throwing the ball deep with reckless abandon, number three in the NFL, in total deep passes of more than 20 yards. That's a dream match for Deshaun Jackson. That's like if Deshaun Jackson went to Match.com, but instead of it finding girlfriends for singles, finding boyfriends for singles, Instead, if it found the ideal quarterback for wide receivers, if that's what Match.com did and Deshaun Jackson created an account on Match.com, Match.com would have found Jameis Winston for Deshaun Jackson. There would have been like five hearts around that Jameis Winston headshot on Deshaun Jackson's wide receiver only Match.com site that we just created. Deshaun Jackson hasn't lost anything. Talked about Rashard Matthews being top 10 in the league in production premium for two consecutive seasons. Well, Deshaun Jackson's been top 10 for three consecutive seasons. It's amazing to me that the two most efficient wide receivers in the league the last three years are both highly available in the later rounds of dynasty startups. 
They can be had for second-round picks, Rashard Matthews and Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson's only 30 years old, so he still has lightning in those shoes. I still think Deshaun Jackson can run a sub 4-4-40, and he has some of the best ball skills of any wide receiver in the NFL. Put those things together with Jameis Winston throwing deep balls constantly. This is a recipe for a fantasy football boon. And look at Jordan Matthews. Jordan Matthews has had one bad season in the last seven the most prolific wide receiver in SEC history, Jordan Matthews at Vanderbilt. Age 18, breakout age, well over 40% dominator rating. Jordan Matthews, one of the most dominant college wide receivers of all time. Then he comes into the NFL and was incredibly efficient for his first two seasons. So in 2014, Jordan Matthews posted a plus 19.6 dominator rating, a plus 20.2% target premium, and a 65% catch rate, number 25 in the league. Exceptionally efficient as a rookie. Then, as a sophomore, plus 11 production premium, plus 9.6 target premium, 66.4% catch rate. So the catch rate went up. Posted 14.5 fantasy points per game. That was fantasy WR2 level production. Then last year, he was less efficient was less productive. He also suffered a knee injury during the preseason, and instead of going in for surgery or taking extended time off, he played through it. I believe it bothered him, and I don't believe the signing of Alshon Jeffrey is going to bother Jordan Matthews' target share significantly. The signing of Alshon Jeffrey was a death blow to Doriel Green Beckham's dynasty value and Nelson Aguilar's, not Jordan Matthews. They play different positions. Jordan Matthews is a prototypical NFL flanker. Alshon Jeffrey is a prototypical NFL X receiver. Targets will be funneled out to Jordan Matthews and Alshon Jeffrey this season. This is the perfect buying opportunity for Jordan Matthews because Alshon Jeffrey only signed a one-year contract. Odds are Jordan Matthews will be back with the Eagles in 2018, not Alshon Jeffrey. Alshon Jeffrey signed a prove-it deal so he could sign a bigger deal elsewhere a year from now. And when Alshon Jeffrey leaves, I believe he will leave Jordan Matthews to be the team's number one wide receiver. And Jordan Matthews will continue to dominate the target share for the Philadelphia Eagles for years to come. And like with Deshaun Jackson, like with Rashard Matthews, like with Tajay Sharp, you can acquire Jordan Matthews in dynasty leagues for a fraction now of what you could acquire him for a year ago. Jordan Matthews' dynasty value has collapsed inexplicably based on one bad season because so many tape grinders hate Jordan Matthews with such a fervor, and it has infected so many Dynasty League owners. They were just waiting for a bad season for Jordan Matthews. One bad season out of seven, but as soon as that one bad season came in, boom, the hammer comes down. Jordan Matthews' fantasy value is eviscerated. His Dynasty stock collapses, and it's unfair. And when you see an unfair valuation collapse, that's when you move in for the trade in Dynasty. Now, the last player is Eric Decker. This is my shopping list. Rashard Matthews, Tajay Sharp, Deshaun Jackson, Jordan Matthews, Eric Decker. Why? Because Eric Decker is a sneaky cut candidate this offseason. Because Eric Decker is owed $8,700,050. Only $3 million of that counts against the cap. That means that the New York Jets would save $5,700,050 by cutting Eric Decker before June 1st. 
This is all according to OverTheCap.com. That's Jason Fitzgerald's site. We had him on earlier. Now, why would the Jets choose to retain Eric Decker? Well, if they think they can win, if they're delusional enough to think that they can make a run this year, then they will retain Eric Decker. If they think they can make a run this year, they also will likely sign a Tony Romo or more likely a Jake Cutler. So if they sign Jake Cutler, I think Eric Decker is safe. If the Jets do not end up signing a high-profile free agent wide receiver in that Jay Cutler, Tony Romo level, well, there's no incentive left for the Jets to retain Eric Decker. There's no reason to improve your team if you're deciding to switch over into rebuilding mode. Certainly, the Cleveland Browns would never retain Eric Decker given what he's owed this season. But you don't have to be a super rational franchise to know it's not a good idea to retain a player like Eric Decker making over $8 million if you have no chance to win. You're just throwing money away and incrementally improving your team and losing future draft capital. It's all irrational. So Eric Decker is absolutely a cut candidate if the Jets don't sign Smoking Jay. And what if Eric Decker gets cut? Eric Decker, a wide receiver one in 2015, could sign anywhere. Could sign with Dallas. Could sign with Green Bay. Could sign with Atlanta. Could sign with a team in the NFC South that just lost a wide receiver to New England. Eric Decker could be receiving passes from Drew Brees in 2017.